Good morning, everybody. Can you guys give the worship team a hand for leading us so powerfully? Man, it's so important. It is so important that we are the ones carrying the greatest hope right now in everything that we're doing, in every place that we're going, everywhere we're called to be, that the way that we, and I know the term warfare gets thrown around way too much, but the way that we are to oppose what is around us is with hope. And it's so vital that we carry it. It's not just theoretical, but it's tangible and experiential. All right, let me look around and say good morning to everybody. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. I get extra. Oh, there it is. All right, so uh, we're going to be continuing our series on Joseph in in Genesis chapter 39. If you guys want to turn over there, you can. And uh, I want to I want to share with you a couple things as we get started. Um, Here's the thing. Wednesday night, we have Abide. It is our worship and intercession night. And we at 6 o'clock, we would love for you to come out and be with us in that time where, where we get an extended few moments of what we just did for, for, what, 40 minutes. We get to be able to do that for an hour and a half and pray and worship and soak and relax and, 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 and invest in, that, in those times and seeing God move. Along with that, we have our Regeneration Youth Ministry is on Wednesday night. And then our TFF, our third, fourth, and fifth grade group is also on, uh, on Wednesday night. So all of those start at 6 o'clock. You can find out about them uh, at our website, lwrv.org, and, um, and, and get registered for those so that you can come and be a part of those. Also, Kingdom Kids, as we're beginning to open up more spots for people to be able to come back into this space, we, need, um, a, we have an ongoing opportunity for kids, people to come in and help us with our Kingdom Kids team so that we can offer more um, of the nursery and of the toddlers uh, back in the Kingdom Kids area. And so if you're interested in helping us out with that after the gathering today, or if you're online, you can say, hey, it's me. I'm interested. If you're online, Christian will get in touch with you. If Otherwise, if you're here, you can go out to the Welcome Center. You can always grab Kim um, for a moment, and she'll get you directed and how you can jump on or back on to our Kingdom Kids team. It would be such a rad way to help us get back into a full gathering and, um, uh, mode that we believe is coming down the, uh, in the next few months, and that's going to require us rebuilding that Kingdom Kids team. So if that's something that's in your heart to do or a place where you can serve on a Sunday morning, come and join us. And, uh, and then finally, I want to say this. We are anticipating a time when we are also going to be um, full in this room. We're going to be able to put our communion back out. We're going to rebuild our ministry team, and it's going to be incredible, and we can't wait for that. But in the meantime, um, we are inviting you to take these words that are shared in these times of worship that you're experiencing on Sunday morning and allow them to either go into your community group but specifically into your personal time and that your ministry, your response, the Holy Spirit meeting you in response to these moments that we're together as a family would be in your quiet space, in your private time, and allowing God to minister to you throughout the week on what uh, what our theme is for the week. And our theme this week is a continuation of the story of, of Joseph. And so um, we want to do this teaching, and I am going to probably, it's important that you do your ministry time at home this week because I have a feeling that this teaching is going to go right up to 1215. Um, so buckle up. Some of you say I talk fast. Um, so we're going to do like uh, double speed maybe this morning. So you'll get it. The good news is, is that it's all recorded. We have podcast. We have it on video. You can go back and you can watch it. You can slow it down to half speed and you'll just watch me teach like this. 
It'll be wonderful. You'll get it all. Notes are in there. Um, So this is Joseph in Potiphar's house. We're going to read through this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to pull things out as we go. Okay, so let's read this together as we understand that this is a story of Joseph that we've looked at up to this point. Uh, It's really a story of loss. Joseph had this place of favor. You know about his multicolored coat, but he lost that place of favor within his family. He lost relationship with his family. He lost relationship with his brothers. He He was beaten. He was thrown into a pit. He was sold. He lost his homeland. He lost his inheritance. He was sold into slavery, and he ended up a servant in Potiphar's house, which is Genesis 39. And so overarching theme is how is Joseph handling loss on every front in his life. I think that's something that we can all probably find something that we can relate to. How do we walk through this loss that we're experiencing in our own lives? And so, but what has remained for Joseph through all of this, and this is what I want us to take encouragement from, is that Joseph didn't, even though he lost everything, he never lost that sense of identity of who he was. And a few weeks ago, we talked about the father's favor and what his father invested in him and spoke into him. He stood on that in the midst of extremely difficult circumstances. And in fact, the harder the circumstances got, the more you saw Joseph's assurance in his identity of even though I'm not in my homeland, even though I'm not with my father, I will still stand as a son. And the the things that hit him caused him to stand in that reality. And not only that, and I believe this is true for us, is that the more difficult times that we face actually establish our identity. But they don't only establish it, they show us where we have it rooted and where are we drawing from for identity. When things are hard and difficult, we may discover, and I know this may not be you, but I know it's me, that when things are difficult, you might discover that you begin to reach for old things that used to give you purpose, meaning, and fulfillment, and identity. But what we want to be able to do is to stand in the most difficult of times and say, I belong to my Father. I know who He is, and I know who He says I am, and no matter what, I'm going to stay in that identity, and I'm going to stand in it. We see a lot of these circumstances that are hitting people so hard that they're beginning to change the way that they're looking, the way that they're speaking, the things that are coming out of their life, and you're going, wait a minute, that doesn't seem like our Father. And maybe you've experienced that in your own life. And the good news is this, is that we have a good father who, who holds a place for us at his table. And even when the things that begin to come out of us aren't honoring to who we are as sons and daughters, he wants to show us how to be restored back to that identity that he has for us. And so let's read this in Genesis 39. Joseph had been taken down, verse 1, to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And this was about 10 years that Joseph was, or maybe even more than 10 years, 10 plus years that Joseph was in Potiphar's house. So don't think of this as a six-month thing or a two-month gig. When his master saw When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes, in his eyes, and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything that he owned. So look at this. I want us to see this first thing out of this verse. It says, When Potiphar saw Joseph and he saw his life, his faith, 
and his diligence were visible to the people around him. Joseph didn't withhold hard work. He didn't withhold blessing. He didn't withhold fully engaging in what he was, was asked of him because he wasn't in a good circumstance, because he didn't like who was in charge of him. He did not withhold that. He actually pressed in more to the point that it was unmistakable that that person over him couldn't help but see the result of Joseph's identity and his faith and his diligence. And he continued to press into that. It would have been easy for him to pull back, right? It would have been so easy for Joseph to say, here I am, taken out of my homeland, ripped from my inheritance, taken from my, my, my family and put into a situation and I'm only gonna go through the motions. I'm gonna do the least that's expected of me. But Joseph was living in that identity who his father told him that he was, and he couldn't shrink back from that reality of saying, I am going to give everything that I have in this situation. And God blessed that heart and attitude, and that everything he did, everything he touched, increased until the point where Potiphar couldn't help but notice this. Colossians tells us this, whatever you do, Work at it with your whole being for the Lord and not for men because you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as, you re as your reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. How many of us are looking at our day-to-day -day life and saying, it is Christ that I'm serving in the way that I go about my relationship with my family, my relationship with my friends, the way that I go about my relationship with my workplace, my relationship with the city that I live in, that I do it because I'm doing it unto the Lord. And I know that if I'm going to receive anything, this is not an exchange that goes, if I do something good, I get something good. It's saying, no, God, I know that my inheritance for the diligence, the wisdom, the passion that I work with for the good of others and the love of others is going to be seen by you and rewarded by you. And I am not living this life based on a reciprocal reward in this moment, but I'm living my life based on a father who says, I see you. And I see how you're loving people, even people that don't love you. I see how you're serving people, even people who don't want anything to do with you. I see how you're going the extra mile at work and you are showing your heart. And people will see that and God will see that. And there's a reward that we can walk in for that. Joseph understood this and he was willing to be seen. Verse five, from the time he put in, he was put him in, he, that he put him in charge of his household, and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. Now listen, we said this before. Remember, Potiphar wasn't his friend. His, his boss wasn't his buddy. This was someone who had purchased him from slave traders that bought him out of a pit when he was beaten half to death. So Joseph wasn't like, oh, I love these people. This is great. Wasn't his friend. And yet, how did he serve and how did he humble himself? Potiphar was his owner. And Joseph still lived and took responsibility in a way that brought blessing to Potiphar. He wasn't just living this way to bring blessing to himself. He lived in such a way that brought a blessing to his enemy, to Potiphar, to the one who had purchased him and owned him. Now Joseph was a well-built, oh, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Cougars in the Bible. But he refused 
With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. Verse 9, no one is greater in this house than me. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a, a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. He go, go to bed with her or even be with her. So remember this. Joseph lived in Potiphar's house for 10 years. So this could be a, an extremely on, uh, ongoing situation that Joseph is dealing with here, of being pursued and, 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 and always being tried to be cornered. And so being that fact, this was that ongoing invitation to sin. And really it was this. He had opportunity for sexual gratification he had opportunity to stick it to those who were in power over him. And he had, he had this opportunity to get something out of a really bad situation that he was in. He had these places where it would have been easy. Think about this. He had lost everything. He had lost his father, his family, his inheritance. He was alone in a foreign land. He was made into a slave. He had every justification to do whatever he could get away with, right? Why not, Joseph? Take advantage of it. They're taking advantage of you. He owed these people nothing, so why didn't he? Here's why in verse 9. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph had a completely different understanding of why he was living in righteousness. He didn't measure his actions against what was right or wrong in the culture. He didn't measure his actions based against the wrongs that he had endured in his life. He didn't measure his actions against the culture or against whether he should get something for all that he was having to pay out. And he didn't even weigh his actions about whether the people he was hurting deserved it or not. Because there's a good chance that he could have said, oh, they deserve what they're going to get. Instead of all of those measuring sticks, he used a measurement that said, what is right to God? And what would the righteousness of God look like in this situation? See, if we use external, if we use, if we use our culture if we use our circumstances, if we use the things that have happened to us as a, as a way to make an excuse for what we do in our life, we can justify anything. And I know as Christians, we're told to live justified, right? That's the good kind of justification. That's the, that's the doctrine of justification that says because of Jesus Christ, knowing that you're a sinner, you are still forgiven and made right with God. That's the kind of justification that we want to live in. The justification we want to avoid is when you, we go, don't you know, all the bad things that have happened to me, I deserve this. Don't you know that this and this and this, and we have our reasons, and we begin to live in justification instead of understanding, wait, God, you have put a different reality into my mind and into my heart, and I want to live up to that reality instead of down to what my culture says, what my experiences say, what my past says that I can get away with and I can take part in. Joseph didn't do that. He didn't live that way. He allowed his father to set the standard, not the circumstances. Matthew says this. This is Jesus talking. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than the others? 
Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the standard that Jesus set. Don't live down to your neighbors. Don't look around at your enemies and say, well, my enemies get away with this. My neighbors get away with this. My culture gets away with this. Jesus says, no, that is not our standard. The righteousness of our Father is the standard. David understood this, right? In Psalm 51.4, when he sinned and was confronted by the prophet uh, Nathan, God, he called out to God and he said, God, against you and you only have I sinned. He committed adultery. He committed murder. He, he took what didn't belong to him. He coveted what wasn't his. And yet at the moment of repentance, what was his heart? God, I've sinned against you. Not only against others, but I've sinned against you. David understood this. The prodigal story that Jesus tells of the prodigal son, the prodigal father, really. Because it's the, it's the, the opulence and the, and the generosity is what the word means. And so the son said to him as he came back to his father, what did he say? Father, I've sinned against, against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called a son. Now we know this story ends in powerful restoration where the father says, even though you're telling me that, the first thing I'm gonna do is restore identity to you. But that son understood that I'd sinned, not what I took, not what I squandered, not who I hurt, but father, I sinned against you. And I believe that's the reality that held Joseph in that moment of tension where it would have been easy to say, I can do whatever I want. I'm not near my family. I'm not near anyone who knows me. I am on my own. Why not? Because it's a sin against my father. It's a sin against God. And when we sin, we know that we're not ultimately just sinning against a cultural standard. It's that righteousness of God that, that, that Jesus spoke of. Verse 11 one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants were inside. And she caught him by the cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Here is a recurring theme in Joseph's life. He can't keep track of his cloaks. <laughs> this is the second one already he's lost in the story. But the choices that Joseph, what I want you to see, the choices that Joseph made to resist temptation were emphatic. Uh, as I've said before, he had every reason to indulge. Um, as you study the historical context even of this passage, you realize that what she was offering him and asking of him wasn't that rare. And we may read it in a different culture, in a different era, with different ears and think, oh, how scandalous. And sure, it would have been scandalous, but the fact is, is that it was even different in that time. You can hear the temptation whispering to Joseph, what's the big deal? Nobody will know, and after all, you deserve it. But instead of entertaining that temptation, he fled. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, flee temptation, the evil desires of youth, and pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace. What are we pursuing? Fleeing temptation is exactly what Joseph did. She caught a hold of him, he left his cloak, and he ran. Here's what also scripture teaches us about temptation. 1 Corinthians 10 says this, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I like the first half of this verse. No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Oh, good. 
So he'll just remove it, right? He's not going to let me tempt it, be tempted beyond what I can bear. I can't wait for God to remove temptation. No, the second part of this verse is where it gets really annoying. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. He's not just going to make it go away. He's going to provide an opportunity for you to step out of it. Are you going to take it? That's the question. And for Joseph, when that opportunity provided itself, he fought out of his robe so that he could run for his life. He took the opportunity, the off-ramp from temptation that was putting before him. He left everything behind that he needed to leave behind. And this reminds me of Hebrews 12. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Let us throw off everything that hinders us. That's what Joseph did. The sin that so easily entangles. When, when God is asking us to live in righteousness and to run away from sin and to run away from the things that so easily entangle us, he is not concerned with your behavior. He's not like, I just want a bunch of people who act right. He, 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 he's concerned with the things that entangle us and take us back into bondage and, and begin to restrict the fullness of the life of Christ showing up in us and through us. Now, if we've grown up in church, we might believe that God wants us to be righteous to make sure that we are always doing the right thing. As if it's all behavior based. But this verse in Hebrews, the response we see from Joseph is that he was willing to run and that we are implored. Run away from the things that entangle you because they will choke the life out of you. God isn't concerned with your behavior. He's concerned that you are living fully alive as John 10.10 invites us to have. Life and life to the fullest. And these things that we go to to satisfy needs, to get our identity fixed, to get whatever it is, those things entangle us in such a way that they begin to grow a root system around our life. And before you know it, your identity as a son or as a daughter is being choked out. Run from that stuff. I don't care about your behavior and checking religious boxes about how you should look and talk and how often you should read your Bible and how often you should pray. I care about whether you are experiencing the fullness of life that is promised to us in Jesus Christ. That's what I care about. Because you can read your Bible into deadness. You can pray yourself into deadness. Because it can become a religious exercise that is just as dangerous as any other sin that you're partaking in. Until it's infused with the Holy Spirit to say, this is the way that I connect with the living God. And it begins to be a lifeline. And as you pull that lifeline into your heart, it breaks off all of the things that are entangling you. And it begins to show you a better way to live in freedom. It's not checking boxes. It's saying, what am I holding? What am I ready to let go of? And if something is holding on to me, am I willing to find my way out of that lifestyle, out of that decision, out of that past, out of whatever it is? Am I willing to fight to get free of that and leave it behind if I have to, to be free? Break off anything that's entangling you. Run from it, as Joseph did. 
It is for freedom, Galatians 5. Paul tells us in Galatians 5. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again to a yoke of slavery. This is the freedom that Jesus is inviting us to. Joseph wasn't trying to be good. He believed at the core of his being that what he'd find in pursuing God was more powerful and meaningful than what he would find in bed with Potiphar's wife. And we have to believe the same thing, that what I'm going to find in living in purity and pursuing God is more meaningful and deep than anything else I'm going to find in any of these other temptations that are being offered to me. And so that's the question that we can ask this morning. Do we fundamentally believe that what we'll find pursuing God is more valuable than what we will find indulging our own desires and methods and the things that we justify and the things that we excuse and that we allow to remain in our life that are bringing us back into bondage to slavery. We're called to be free people, and Jesus shows us the way to do that. Oh, that's too far away from my eyes. Oh, maybe not. We'll give it a shot. Verse 13. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. Verse 16. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. The Hebrew slave you brought us came to, make, came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. Wait a minute. He resisted temptation. And he ended up in prison. I thought if you resisted temptation... And you have that moment of victory that heaven is supposed to open. Angels should descend around you, sing a song of your greatness, and make everything right in front of you. I resisted temptation. Where is my reward? Come and make everything perfect. Joseph resisted temptation, and he ends up in prison. Sometimes when we resist temptation, sometimes when we choose righteousness, I shouldn't even say sometimes. Oftentimes, it doesn't always create a straight, a straight line to something better, to some better scenario or all the, the road that's confusing before us doesn't suddenly snap and become straight. Often our faithfulness goes unnoticed. Sometimes people are gonna even accuse you of wrongdoing when you're trying to do the right thing. They're not gonna understand or they're going to understand what you're doing and they're just going to lie and undermine it because they don't like that you are living in righteousness from a full heart. <laughs> or worse than that, you make this choice to stand for what you know is right or to resist temptation and everything still falls apart. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 10 then. This promise that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. What if your way out involves prison? Which I mean as worse circumstances. What if your way out 
isn't that straight line and everything being perfect that you'd hope for. The question we have to ask then is this, are we more committed to a perfect outcome or to trusting God and walking it out? <laughs> this is the reward for doing good. My life is falling apart. Here I am in prison, Joseph would say. But maybe Joseph recognized that God's favor in all of the other things and it allowed him to endure the hardship that he was gonna have to face. See, we say this often is that the quickest way to a shipwrecked faith is to focus on what God isn't doing or to focus on what isn't right. And maybe somehow Joseph had this perspective where he was able to look back across his life and instead of recounting every place where God failed him, he was actually recounting every place where God was faithful to him. You could stand in that moment, if you could put yourself in Joseph's shoes in that prison, and you could look back and point out every single place where something tragic happened to him, and I could stand in that same place and point out every place where God was faithful through that tragedy. Which one Joseph looks at is going to determine how he responds in prison. Just in the same way of how you're looking back across your life is going to determine how you respond from your prison, from your struggle, from your mistake. You can look back with eyes of God and say, I see the places where you are faithful and you are faithful and you are faithful and you are faithful. Or you can look and say, failure, 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 failure. Which will it be? We set the narrative and too often we set the narrative based on the negatives instead of the places where God said, yeah, that's true. But did you see what I did through that? Yes, that's true, but did you see what I did through that? Yes, that's true, but do you remember that I was with you in the dark of the night? And that our relationship deepened in a way that it never could have otherwise. Do you see? Do you see? Do you see? From your prison cell, can you look back? You decide what happens from your prison cell forward based on what you believe about how you got there. Never, God never said that he would make everything perfect for our lives. But he does promise this. I will be with you and I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. Does our obedience to what is right extend past convenience and does it remain intact in persecution? Does our allegiance to what is right remain intact when we choose to flee from temptation and we end up running smack dab into a wall and have to sit there stunned for a moment and say, okay, God, now what? He's gonna meet you. He's gonna show you if we'll keep our eyes and our hearts on him. Verse 20, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. This is the reality of how we know that Joseph kept his heart right even in the most difficult situation is because he didn't just mail it in and go sit in his cell. He showed up, he continued to work in a way that people could see that he was with, that God was with him and that blessing flowed out of his life. He lived it out visibly again and again and again and we see that his heart was right even in the most difficult of moments. God continues to move Joseph in this story into a position of authority 
because God knew that he could trust Joseph's heart and he could trust Joseph's life. Time and time again, Joseph said, God, my heart belongs to you and I am trustworthy. And so God continued to bless him. The eyes of the Lord, you guys, some of you could probably say this with me. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully surrendered to him. This is what Joseph experienced. The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are fully given to him. This was Joseph's heart. And so when God looked and said, here is a man who I can bestow blessing upon and I can entrust with authority, he poured that out on him and he continued to raise him into places that he could make the difference and live out the life that God had given him to live out. When we are persecuted, when we endure testing or we're simply walking through a terrible or an unexpected circumstance and we, and we prosper through those, it becomes an unmistakable witness to the people around us that God is with us in the hardest of times. It's one thing to say, oh, I have a testimony about this time that my life was perfect for six months and everything worked. People are like, yeah, whatever. But your testimony through hard and difficult times and saying, I walked with God and I kept my heart right. And God was with me through it. And you begin to be, you begin to prosper in the most difficult of things. And I'm not just talking, when I say prosper, I'm not talking about you're getting a bunch of money in your pocket. I'm saying that your heart is alive, that your hope is alive, that your joy is alive, that your faith is alive, even in the difficult times. It doesn't have to be fake and Hallmark already and, oh, yay, look at me, I'm so happy. It just has to be raw. It has to be real, and it has to be seen by people. That becomes a testimony of God's faithfulness that is far more powerful than the time that everything broke your way and you were able to buy a sailboat. Sell the sailboat. Just kidding. If you have a sailboat, enjoy it. Okay. Genesis fifty twenty is our core verse in this series on Joseph. And we said, when he says this to his brothers, summing up more of his life than they could ever know, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. That's the testimony of God's faithfulness and Joseph's faithfulness to God throughout the entirety of this walk. So we close, though. Can I ask you this question? Do verses like that or the way that people interpret them and read them ever annoy the heck out of you? And, and, and Genesis 50, 20, and they all lived happily ever after. I'm like, are you sure that's what that says? Because I feel like that's how you're reading it. And God made it all better. What? But that's how we read it sometimes, that we would sit back and we just wait for God to show up and he's gonna fix everything and, and woohoo. But that's not what this verse is saying. And I want you guys to get this. Understand that if we're gonna interpret Genesis 50, 20, that what you intended to harm, God used for good, we have to understand these two things. This outcome was not guaranteed. Him standing before his brothers in that moment was not a guarantee. It was not a foregone conclusion that God foreordained that this was gonna happen. And I need you to also understand that if we're going to understand Genesis 50, 20, 
is that Joseph wasn't a passive spectator. He participated. God worked with Joseph to accomplish his 50-20 moment, and he desires to do the same with each one of you, no matter what you're in, no matter where you are. But there has to be a degree of you saying, God, I want a right heart in everything I'm walking through like Joseph had. Because Joseph, listen to me, Genesis 50-20 didn't have to happen. Joseph could have bailed. He could have let lust consume his life. He could have let bitterness consume his life. He could have let unforgiveness consume his life. This wasn't just a ride that he clicked into and where no matter how he responded, he was going to end up at Genesis 50-20. It was because he stewarded his heart. He fleed from temptation. He resisted those moments. He stood fast. He did not allow unforgiveness or bitterness to take root in his life. And because of that, he was able to partner with God through these difficult situations to see that 50-20 moment happen. As he was then, he is now. He's at work in all things with us to bring about what is good. And I know some of you are saying, here we go, Romans 8, 28 again. But this matters. Don't get this verse wrong anymore. Read it again with fresh eyes. And we know that in all things, God works together with those who love him to bring about what is good. Let me read it again because some of you have a brain right now that's going, what did he just say? Study the verse. Study it with me. And we know that in all things, God works together with those who love him to bring about what is good. It's not saying that all things are good. It's not saying, Joseph, all of these things were good because Genesis 50, 20. No, all of these things were very bad. The things that have happened to you were very bad, but that doesn't mean that you don't get a Genesis 50, 20 moment too if you remain true to what God is doing in you and through you, through that moment, that time, that prison, whatever it is, you get a moment like that. And you get many moments like that, but you don't get to just sit back and go, God is my genie, come wave your magic wand, take all of my decisions that I've made that don't honor you and turn it into something beautiful. We have to participate in the process. He works with those who love him to bring about what is good. What is intended to harm his purpose, God uses to accomplish what is now being done or is about to happen. And I'll repeat myself with this last thought, and then you guys can go. You got to love on the Kingdom Kids team and go get our kiddos out of there. When we look at this story of Joseph and we use Genesis 50 20 as our core verse, this is a repeat, but listen, we must not miss this. That wasn't an inevitable outcome, there had to be this participation. And his faith in this verse wasn't about just standing aside. Our faith has to cause us to step in. Not aside for God, but step in with God. Faith that takes no action, but just waits for God to show up is no faith at all. We participate in what God is doing in us, through us, and around us. Amen? sure there's more, but we'll just stop there. I love you guys. Thank you for hanging out with us. Have an incredible week. Study this passage of scripture this week. Let Holy Spirit minister to you and meet you throughout this week as you, as you just unpack what he shared with you this morning. Thank you guys. We love you. Go love on the Kingdom Kids team for being in there and ho- helping us with our kiddos. All right. See you guys. Have a great weekend.